Well, thank you and good morning. It's good to see you and good to be here in uh, Albuquerque. We, uh, we kind of make a, a regular habit of coming out here and doing some teaching over at uh, Glorietta, but just uh, blessed and so appreciate your invitation to come here and open God's Word this morning with you. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. It's going to be our text today. I have to confess there's a little bit of an ulterior motive is that uh, your pastor, he, uh, he had heard that we had been to uh, Disney World and we had been to Universal Studios. We've been to SeaWorld. He said, you have, you have seen nothing until you've been to Cliffs. And so after church today... Um, <laughs> After church today, we'll, we'll be going. Our families will be going over there together. So that'll be, uh, that'll be fun. Um, but uh, we expect great things, right? Huge, spectacular. But, uh, but hey, you know, we're going to have a great time. So we're looking forward to that. But uh, I'm going to talk today about a subject that I think will be applicable to your church. Now, I don't know for sure it'll be applicable to your church, uh, but I have a pretty high level of certainty for several reasons. Why? Well, one, because the Bible talks enough about this issue that it's an issue in God's churches. And so it's this instruction today in 1 Peter chapter 4 is given to us because we need it, because it's the tendency of our heart to not listen or learn it, and so we're going to look at it today. But again, I don't know your church, and, and, and I don't know its past, I don't know its present, I don't know its future, I, and, and I'm not a prophet, I'm not the son of a prophet, I actually work at a non-profit organization, and so... Um, <laughs> So I don't think I can tell you these things, but I, but I think when we look to the Word, you're going to see some admonition here, some exhortation here, that I think is common enough in Scripture that we can assume that people struggle with this in all times and all places, and that's why Scripture is provided for us here, this text, this passage provided for us to help, uh, help us to think biblically, clearly, and to think as God would have us to think on this issue. So what's the issue? Well, the issue is, is how we might get all of God's people involved in God's mission. How do we get all of God's people involved in God's mission? And I think the assumption here that I am making, and I think that Peter here in writing this, is that all of God's people are often not involved in God's mission. Is that too often has become habit that we might become passive spectators rather than active participants in the mission of God. And so that's what we're going to look at today, right? Your church has a passion for worship, community, and mission. And all of those things are important, but what I think this passage is going to speak to is both the tendency we have to be unengaged in God's mission and then the gifting that he gives us so that we might be engaged in his mission. So let's take a look at 1 Peter chapter 4. I'm going to begin reading at verse 8. Read all the way down to verse 11, though our focus is going to be on verses 10 and 11 in just a minute. Let's take a look beginning at verse 8. It says this, Above all, keep your love for one another at full strength, since love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Based on the gift they have received, everyone should use it to serve others as good managers of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, his speech should be be like the oracles of God. If anyone serves, his service should be from the strength God provides, so that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, speak to us through your word. Shape our thinking about how we are called to join you on your mission through your word. Father, we pray that you might guide us. Give us open hearts today to hear what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. You know, I'm struck by this passage, and I've read it to you from the HCSB, and I'm struck by this passage and how it speaks so practically to where you are and where I am, just the, the tendency of our lives. You see, we speak often about the need to join God in mission. I love the fact that your church values joining God in mission so much that you would talk about it as some, some key, uh, key, uh, key principles to undergird your work, your ministry here, that we might you know, worship God, we might uh, be engaged in community, and we might join him on mission. 
But the reality is, is that this area of mission, this joining God on mission, being a missional church, really comes down at sometimes the simplest level to becoming a missional people or, or a person who's living on mission. And how do we do that? How do we, how do we join God faithfully on mission? Well, we must need some teaching in this area. Here's why. Because the Bible speaks of it so frequently. And I think part of the reason is, it is that the normal progression is, is that as our churches, as we kind of get about our lives and our busyness and, and all the things that kind of draw on us, right? The, 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 the challenges of just day-to-day existence is we often forget the fact that we're all called to the ministry. We're all sent on mission. The only question is where and among whom and whether or not being a, we're being a good steward of that call on our lives. Let's take a look and see how this passage speaks to that very topic by, by first starting by getting some introductory matters here, right? Verses 8 and 9 are, are important. We could preach a whole message on, on them. But let me see how they kind of lead into verse uh, 10 because I think it's, it's setting up for us this, some principle about how we're to love and to show hospitality to one another. It says this in verse uh, 8. It says, above all, speaking to the Christians here, above all, keep your love for one another at full strength. Now, key thing here, right? It's for one another. This is written to Christians. This will be important because when we begin to talk about getting involved in God's mission, being faithful in the call we have to ministry, it's very important that we recognize that this is something to believers, right? There's, there's an order to this process, right? You'll, you'll receive spiritual gifts. You'll start ministering out of those gifts, but there's, uh, this is part of the, the journey that we have, and that, that becomes, first and foremost, God drawing us to himself through the work of his spirit because of what God has done through Christ on the cross for our sin in our place. And then as, as we respond to his grace in our lives, we're born again by the power of his gospel, we're changed and transformed, that then we're going to find out later we receive spiritual gifts. It would be an inappropriate application of this passage for you, perhaps having not yet trusted in Christ as Savior and Lord, not yet being born again, as Jesus talks about in John 3, for you to say, I better get to work. I better get busy doing things for God so that God will be happy with me. And you may say, well, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. What I want to encourage you is, is not to run about trying to turn over a new leaf, but instead to receive new life in Christ, to be born again. But part of living out that new life is we're going to receive spiritual gifts and we're going to live them out in mission and in ministry. And this passage is going to help us with that. So keep our love for one another, it's written to Christians, at full strength. Now here at full strength, the focus here in the original language is like an athlete working on skills, right? You have to practice at it. And, and, and so there's exercise involved. And I, I don't know about you, but I, I actually, I, 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 I'll just be, I exercise regularly. I know this is a shock to you, but I exercise regularly. I've actually lost a hundred pounds over the last two years, which is kind of a backstreet boy. And, uh, um, and, and, and so this is not the end result. This is the journey that I'm on. Um, but, but again, I hate exercise. Matter of fact, I hate exercise with an all-consuming passion. I just hate being fat more than I hate exercise. Um, and thus, that kind of works out for me. But, but again, so it requires some sort of activity. And here it tells us to keep your love for one another at full strength, using the language here that, that, that there's an area we have to practice and exercise and, and live out. And because love, it says, covers a multitude of sins. Verse 9, it says, be hospitable to one another without complaining. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. And so again, there's a sense of love and hospitality. They're laid out right before the passage that we're now going to dive into. But it's important. Here we're commanded to love. 
and then instructed how to show that love. We're commanded to be hospitable and then shown how to live out that hospitality. And we're going to do that by looking through this passage at, at four things. Matter of fact, if you're taking notes, I see some of you are, and I encourage you to do that. Uh, there are four things we're going to see today. I'm going to tell you my outline right now, right? Here's, here's what we're going to talk about. Number one, all have gifts. Number two, God intends all to use. Number three, for which he empowers us. And finally, number four, to bring God glory. And so let's begin to walk through this passage and, and understand, unpack some of what's going on here. It starts in verse 10. If you're taking notes, jot down point number one, all have gifts. All have gifts. Now, it says this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. It says, based on the gift they have received, everyone should use it to serve others. Now, let's notice a few things in here, even in the language, right? Based on the gift they have received. Now, we know this is written to Christians, so we're talking about Christians here. And so, based on the gift they have received... Past tense. So we've received as Christians some spiritual gift or gifts. And so the question then is, is what are we going to do with that? But I think we have to lay a foundation of reminder that all have received spiritual gifts who name the name of Jesus as Savior and Lord. Now, now the reality is, is sometimes we forget this and we don't, we don't maybe live in the gifts that we have been given. Now, sometimes what we do is instead of ministering to others, we like to be ministered to. Uh, maybe, maybe you're here this morning and you are here because you love the teaching that Ryan brings, right? And, and been blessed by that. I've had the privilege of listening online. And so you, you just come because you love to be blessed. And, and, and I think that's, I want you to be blessed. I want you to sit under good Bible-centered quality preaching and teaching. You get that here at Desert Springs, right? And so I want you to do that. But what I want you to hear is, is that that is not the sum total of your Christian experience. God is not simply desiring that you would come into this building and line up in rows or lined up like shelves at Walmart facing forward, participating in worship and listening to a pastor teach. God has called you to more than being a passive spectator, but rather he has called you to be an active participant in the mission of God. Let me say it again. God has not called you simply to be a passive spectator, but rather he has called you to be an active participant in the mission of God. Thus, he has given you a gift, gifts, spiritual gifts with which you might do ministry. Now, how do we get, how do so many people get this idea that their job is to just sit and listen? Now, I want you to sit and listen, right? I believe in the mark of biblical preaching in the church. I want you to listen to the word of God. But what I want you to recognize is that is not the sum total or the final destination of your Christian experience or service. That is God-ordained. It's God-provided. It's part of the marks of a biblical church. But God has called you and me to join him in mission. And this teaching is part of the equipping that God uses to prepare us to join him in mission. He says, based on the gift, Peter writes, based on the gift they have received, everyone should use it to serve others. So where do we get the idea that, well, basically based, we're supposed to sit and listen? Well, how do we end up with this? And I think sometimes it may be the way we design our buildings. Right now, I'm, I, here, here we are, right? I'm going to come and I'm going to come be a guest in your church and I'm going to criticize your building. But I hate your building. 
I mean, I don't have an alternative. It's a great building, but I just hate the fact. You know why I hate your building? It's not because of your building, because, you know, I, I, I preached in all different kinds of buildings. It's, I just, I hate the idea that sometimes people come in and we have to design churches this way. I don't have an alternative to the way you build your building. I just want to complain about it. All right, so, so let, me, let me say this. Maybe you're on the team that designed it, right? Uh, this, if you've got to build a building, this is a great way to build a building. I love the in the round, I mean the feel. It's, it, it promotes a sense of being able to see each other. That's all wonderful. Here's the problem. The problem is at the end of the day, we have to slant the seats. You say you're against slanted seats. Yes, it's right there. Second Opinions, chapter 4, verse 7 says, Thou shalt not slant seats. No, it doesn't. But you know why? Because what this does is this can give you the, one of the unintended side effects of this, right? And it's not, and I'm really, I think it's fine. I think it's great. It's a great building. It's actually a good design. But what the unintended side effects of this is that you think that your job is to get a good seat where you can see the show. And so what happens is this looks like a theater. And sometimes we think our job is to be passive spectators watching people sing and people teach rather than active participants in the mission of God. So it's not that this is not a wonderful building. It is. The issue is, is sometimes it convinces us that our job is to sit in the nosebleed section and to watch rather than to join God on mission and to see this as equipping for that. This is not the final destination. Right? Joining God on his mission is to what we are called. It says this, based on the gift they have received. So if you're seated right up here and leading us in worship, you're using your gift. But if you're in the very back seat, if you're seated anywhere in this place and you name the name of Jesus, the Bible tells us you have been called and gifted to the ministry. I want you to hear this. You are called to the ministry. You say, Ed, I thought, I thought that preachers were called to the ministry. Well, they are too. But sometimes we preachers, we... We sometimes say it like this. We say, well, I was called to the ministry. Matter of fact, I've said this before. I was called to the ministry between my junior and senior year of college. But that's really not true. Now, I was called, God laid in my heart to go plant a church in the inner city of Buffalo, New York, and hey, he was calling me to what the Bible calls in 1 Timothy 3, a noble task to be a pastor and elder of a church, and, and that, that is a call, and, and that's a noble task the Bible says that we're called to. But what I want you to hear is this, is that when you trusted Christ, when you responded to how God was working in your life, when you were born again, you were called to the ministry. All of us are. See, we've created this unhelpful three-tiered level of Christianity. Right, let, let's talk about it, right? There's three tiers. There's three kinds of Christians. At the very bottom level is the vast majority of you. You are lay people, right? Your job is to lay around. <laughs> you don't do much, right? Your job, your job is, is to pay, pray, and get out of the way so the pastors and elders and key leaders can do the work and you can support it. You'll pray for them, you'll bless them, you'll give. So, so they're, they're a step, you're, you're lay people at the very bottom, right? There's a level above you and that's those who are called to the ministry. They're your church staff, right? And they're, 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 uh, they're on staff of the church. They're paid to be good. You are good for nothing. And so right here, you say, Ed, you've insulted our building. Now you're insulting our people. Stay with me, stay with me. So there's the very bottom tier is you right? Lay people. You're not called to the ministry. You're not called to mission. 
A level above that is pastors, right? They're on staff of the church. They're called to the ministry. You know what happens is, is all those people who are called to the ministry, a lot of people who are lay people saying, well, I'm not called to the ministry. That's the pastor's job to visit the sick. That's the pastor's job to to be engaged in teaching the word of God. That's the pastor's job to work among the poor. That's the pastor's job. Why? Because you have convinced yourself you are not called to the ministry. You are not sent on mission. But there's even a level above the pastor, right? The bottom level's lay people, and they're not called to much. Then above that's called to the ministry, but the level above them is those who are called to missions. You ever seen that? You ever, you ever have a missionary speaker at your church, right? You bring them up front, and, you say, and someone will now say, today we have a, a real live missionary. <laughs> right? What did we have last year? Did it involve taxidermy? I mean, what was that? <laughs> but you see, there's another level. But here's the thing. I want us to honor international missionaries more. I want us to call out more to be involved in international missions. What I want you to hear, the answer is not, this is a noble task and this is a noble task. The answer is not to say to every person who names the name of Jesus Christ what the Bible does not say. The Bible is very clear. You are called to the ministry and you are sent on mission. Say, Ed, where am I sent on mission? John 20, 21 says, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. If you name the name of Jesus as your Lord and Savior, once you hear this, you are called to the ministry, you are sent on mission. The only question is where and among whom? It might be in your neighborhood. God might be calling you to cross the world and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you are called to the ministry. You are sent on mission. You put your yes on the table. Let God put it on the map. You say, I will respond because you have gifted me. Based on the gift they have received, everyone should use it to serve others. Say so That's not the only place it says that. Let's, let's take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 speaks to this issue in another way. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7, it says this. It says, a manifestation of the Spirit is given to what? To each person. Say those two words at me. Are you ready together? Each person person. You weren't helping me there. Say it again. Each person. So I look that up in the Greek because I wanted to impress you with my knowledge of the Greek. And you know what that means in the Greek? You do. Say it with me. Each person. It wasn't a trick. That's all there is to it. See, sometimes we think, well, it must not really mean that. It does. It means that. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, a manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person person to you, to me, to the person who names Christ as Savior and Lord next to you, behind you, in front of you, and yes, to you, to each person to produce what is beneficial. So God has called you to the ministry. God has sent you on mission. The only question is where and among whom. You say, Ed, what about my job? Yes, he's letting you keep that job to support the fact that you are called to the ministry and sent on mission. Say, well, well, does not mean my job's not important? Not at all. Not at all. One of the ways you do, you, you'll work as unto the Lord, not as unto men. You'll use that. But, but in the midst of that, what we have to do is to recognize that our job is not to be a group of passive spectators who watch while Ryan and other gifted teachers, communicators, and worship leaders lead us. Our job is not to look more like a theater watching a show, but to look more like a team sport when we're in this together with a player coach helping to lead us. But that has to recognize that, that you and I are gifted. Say, well, I don't know my spiritual gifts. Well, that's part of the job of your pastor and your elders is to help you discover your spiritual gifts. Now, part of the challenge is, and I'm convinced with all my heart, that somehow along the way, we've convinced ourselves that it's normal to not be engaged in God's mission or in biblical ministry. Why? Well, I think it's human nature. 
I think it's human nature to want to be served more than to serve. I think it's human nature to, to want to find the easy way through rather than the challenging way through along the way. But what, and I would say part of it is, is because even the way we do church sometimes teaches you that. Again, we line up in these rows like shelves of Walmart facing forward, and this can sometimes convince you your job is to be a spectator. I want to beg you, scripturally, I want to plead with you, that's not what God has called you to do. He has called you to the ministry. He has sent you on mission. Now, sometimes what we do is we end up getting focused simply on knowledge. Well, I want to know more. But pastor, if I, if I end up going out and serving, then, then I want, but I want to know more. And what I want to say to you is I want you to know more. I'm a, I believe in the clear teaching of God's word. I believe in going deep. I'm never embarrassed or ashamed by someone when I hear them say, I want to go deeper. I want to encourage and affirm and bless that. But part of the challenge is, is there are so many people say, I want to go deeper when they're unengaged in God's mission. You can't look to the word of God and not do what it says. Say, but I want to know stuff. You know, I want to learn about the Amalekites and the Jebusites and the mosquito bites and everybody else. And I want you to learn all that and more. But what I want you to do is not just to learn, but to do. Scripture, now, now again, don't get it the wrong order. Don't just say, well, I'm just going to go do and haven't been changed by the power of the gospel. I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about the fact there's something has become twisted in the modern church. If the majority of people don't do anything, and that's become normal. And that's right. We even have, you know, we even have a nickname for it. Here's the nickname for it, right? The 80-20 rule. It's a nickname. You can look it up. You can Google it, and you'll find the 80-20 rule. You know what it means? Is that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. You know what I call it? The the 80-20 sin. It's, it's wrong when we look to the scriptures. The scriptures say a manifestation of the spirit is given to each person to produce what is beneficial. And part of the challenge is, is that what we have is, is large parts of the body of Christ. And I, I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing even this expression of his body, large parts of the body of Christ who are sitting, watching, and cheering for others, thinking they're in the stands when someone else is on the field, when God has placed us all in ministry. He sent us all on mission. We're all called to be on on the field, on the mission. Now, here, we look at this passage and we say, well, how did it become different? Well, I think one of the things right now we can rethink this is in the midst of the, the Great Recession we're in. Now, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of the Great Recession. I'm guessing you're not too. Many of you have probably uh, lost jobs and lost employment, lost income, and I, I get that. But what I want you to know, too, is that it forces us to think about how we do church. You know, scarcity brings clarity. It forces us to think about how we do church. Matter of fact, there was a study done by a professor, I believe at Texas Tech, and he, he did a study and he looked at the, the, uh, the correlation between economic cycles and, and what he, his specific, specific study talked about Protestant church membership. So let me quote a statistic, right? I'm the president of Lifeway Research. Every time I quote a statistic, an angel gets its wings. So let me quote one for you. Here's what he found. He found that the, the economic cycle and Protestant church membership was counter-cyclical. What that means is, is that when the economy goes down, Protestant church membership goes up. Specifically, he said that evangelical church membership, we would be evangelicals, evangelical church membership goes up. Main lines were what he called moderately counter-cyclical. So here's what it means. The worse the economy gets, the more Protestant evangelical church membership has grown historically. Why is that? Perhaps because people can't trust in their stuff and therefore they also often look in the midst and are touched by the Savior. But what I want to say to you is this. It's tough because what do we do in the midst of this? First of all, I, I always kind of wonder, what, what do I pray for in the midst of an economic downturn? 
you know, if historically economic downturns have led to a response in our churches, what do I, do I pray for it to get better financially? Because historically when it gets worse, in the midst of all that, we see God working in powerful ways. But scarcity brings clarity. So the recession has helped us. Why? It's forcing all kinds of churches to become more volunteer-driven organization. And I think it would be a wonderful thing if at Desert Springs and churches all across North America, all across the world, if they said, don't pay people to do some of those things, let me do some of those things. And the people that are paying, have them train me. And let's train others. And and let's get people engaged and involved in mission and ministry. See, we could do it for, for people. I mean, we could hire staff to do those things, and I love church staff. I am church staff, right? But when we, as pastors and staff, when we do for people, God's people, you, when we do for people what God has called them to do as pastors, everyone gets hurt, and the mission of God is hindered. Why? Because ultimately, then it destroys the common good. First Corinthians 12 says that we're gifted for the common good. God has gifted you for the good of this body and for his glory and his honor. And if you have chosen to be a bad steward of the gifts that he's given you, to sit out the mission of God, then the end result is it hinders the common good, which First Corinthians says you're gifted to benefit the common good. So number one, all have gifts. Let's stick to number two. Number two is God intends all to use. Now, it says, first and foremost, it says, all have gifts. So you and I, every person is gifted. Now, now Ryan's gifted, right? But your other pastors and elders are gifted. Your staff's gifted. Your teachers are gifted. But you are gifted. You say, Ed, I don't feel real gifted. I, I know. Part of that is, is we've convinced ourselves that we don't have much to contribute. Part of that is, is we've become accustomed to watching rather than to joining in God's mission. But look at what it says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, the second part of the verse. Right? It, says, it says, right at the beginning, it says is that God has given us, God has gifted us based on the gift they've received. Everyone should use it to serve others. And here it is, as what? As good managers of the varied grace of God. Manager and steward are often translated from the same Greek word in the New Testament. And, and in the culture of that day, the steward was the servant who managed the house of the master. Didn't own the stuff, but sort of uh, stewarded it, managed it. And part of the challenge is is that that this church is filled with people who have spiritual gifts. Every person who names the name of Christ as Savior and Lord is gifted. The only question, the question is not whether you're gifted. The Bible says you are. The question is whether or not you are being a steward of that gift. Now, at this point, there's a whole bunch of you who are working real hard at the church, right? You're volunteering, you're engaged, maybe serving in the community, and you're saying, man, I sure hope the rest of these lazy people hear this sermon. <laughs> I don't want you to do that. Because I'm not necessarily calling you to more, but I'm calling you to steward the gifts of the body that is Desert Springs. In other words, if you're engaged and you're, you're leading a, a, I believe you call them community groups here, uh, if you're leading a community group and, and you take great joy in that because you're using gifts, I say thank God for your service. Thank God for your mission and ministry. But I want to encourage you, don't just gather people together and study the Bible and call them to see how they're doing during the week. I want to encourage you to do something else. Hebrews puts it this way, provoke one another to love and good deeds, Hebrews chapter 10. I want to encourage you not to simply say, I hope these people listen to this message, I want to encourage you as a church to co-steward, to co-manage each other's gifts. Because when you talk about the centrality, the importance of, uh, of this issue of worship, of community and mission, those need to be tied together. See, 
You can sit next to each other and not be in community with each other. Why? Because proximity does not equal community. You can just be there. But you want to move from sitting in rows to sitting in circles, to worship together, but then to sit in circles to provoke one one another to love and good deeds. But I want to encourage you to take it a step even further. What I want to encourage you to do is to not just get in circles, but to provoke one another to love and good deeds, to join God on mission. Why? Because God intends all to use their gifts. All. All to use their gifts. Why? Because we're good stewards, good managers of the varied grace of God. 1 Corinthians 12, again, 1 Corinthians 12 reminds us in verse 18, it says this, But now God has placed the parts, each one of them, in the body, just as he has wanted. I want you to hear this. You have been placed in this local expression of the body of Christ, just as God wanted. The question is whether or not you are stewarding your gifts as part of the body. See, the problem is, for too many churches... They don't look like a body of Christ on mission, like the body, the local expression of the body on mission. Too often they look like a, a pile of dismembered body parts, unconnected and unengaged in God's ministry, not joining God on mission. How do we get here? See, I mean, we think about we think about members, and sometimes we think about members, and we're too influenced by that American Express commercial, right? And membership has its privileges, but when we look to the original language, member ties more into how we're connected one with another, and therefore churches exercise that through a biblical membership process that's a local expression determined under the leadership of a local church. But but what I want you I want you to miss this: member is where we get the word dismember. I'm guessing there's people in this room that have a dismembered finger. I don't want you to raise your hands or anything of that sort. But I'm guessing that you lost a finger along or lost a toe along the way. And I'm going to tell you, I'm guessing that was not your best day. Because you lost something. Why? Because it is a terrible thing to think of a member of your body separated from the body not being used for the purpose that God created it. And yet, that's normal in our churches. It's normal that churches look more like piles of dismembered body parts unengaged in mission than a body on mission for the gospel. Why is that? Because where Scripture says God intends all to use, sometimes we think that doesn't apply to us. Why? Well... Because sometimes people come to churches for different reasons, but when you get to a church of certain size, as yours is, people often come and they, sometimes they come and maybe they come here to, to heal and to hide. Maybe they were hurt somewhere else, right? And they wanted to come and found this to be a safe place. And that's good. I, I want you to come for this to be a safe place. I want you to come and to heal. But the difficulty is, is too often we stay and we hide. Sometimes we don't need to heal. We just came to hide. We were too involved at the other place, and now we're hiding. And what I want to say to you is, is I'm not saying that at every moment of your life you need to be engaged in some frenetic activity for God. And I'm not unaware that there are times when God is working in our life and there's a season for downtime. But the reality is it is not God's plan that 80% of people in the average church are now in the downtime of their mission and ministry. And I don't know your church. That's the great thing, right? So you could say, he doesn't know us. A hundred percent of us are involved in God's mission. Go with that. <laughs> but I'm guessing there's a lot of people in this room who you have become accustomed with sitting. And my exhortation to you is we've got to move from the day of the ordained, when the pastors do all the work, to the day of the ordinary, when God's people who are called to the ministry and sent on mission 
are get, engaging in that mission and ministry. Listen, contributing a percentage of your income and getting your face in the pictorial directory is not enough. That's not a faith worth living for. That's not a faith worth passing on. We've got to move beyond that. How? Well, let's, let's look to the root, number three. Right? What does it say? Well, we've started in the beginning of verse 10. Based on the gift they've received, everyone should use it to serve others. Right? That's all of gifts. Second thing is, it says, as good managers of the varied grace of God, for which he, he, God intends all to use to be managers of that gifts. Now look at verse 11. It says, if anyone speaks, his speech should be like the oracles of God. If anyone serves, his service should be from the strength God provides. So the third thing is for which he empowers us. It's about empowerment here, right? Did you notice he speaks as if the oracles of God, talking about the empowerment of the Spirit. If anyone serves, his service should be from the strength God provides, right? This is God's work in us and through us. This is not, well, we're going to try real hard to do good things for God. No, no, no. He empowers us for that work as he calls us to ministry and to mission. Now here, here we get two broad categories, right? The two broad categories are speaking and serving. If anyone speaks, his speech should be as the oracles of God. If anyone serves, uh, his service should be uh, by the strength God provides. So two broad categories, serving and speaking. Now, what I would say is we, we recognize there are other places in the Bible where there are lists of spiritual gifts. In Romans 12, for example, in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, in Ephesians 4, we see these different lists. There are about 19 total, though, so I'm not sure that any of those are intended to be a, an exhaustive list of spiritual gifts. Here's what I know. Here's what I know is that God calls us, he saves us, he's redeemed us, made us alive in Christ, and part of our new life in Christ is to live out by using the gifts that he has given us. But there's a problem. The problem is, is that sometimes we do that and then we become passive spectators. Here we're gifted, but we're not good managers. And I think what happens is, is we get into a cycle and that cycle is a cycle of, of codependency. You've heard of codependency, right? Let me talk about it. Let me define it. I'm going to read this definition off of Wikipedia because you can trust it there. And here's what it says. But it's a good definition. It says, a codependent is loosely defined as someone who exhibits too much and often inappropriate caring for persons who depend on him or her. A codependent is one side of a relationship between mutually needy people. The dependent, or the obviously needy party, may have emotional, physical, financial difficulties, or addictions, they seemingly are unable to surmount. The codependent party exhibits behavior which controls, makes excuses for, pities, and takes other actions to perpetuate the obviously needy party's condition because of their desire to be needed and the fear of doing anything that would change their relationship. Now, here's what I want to say to you. I think in most churches that we have an unhealthy relationship, often between the leadership, and by that I mean pastors, elders, staff, and key leaders in the church, and the people. I think too often people have become the dependents, and leaders have become the codependents. It has become normal for the dependents to look to the codependents to save them, to rescue them. And you'll hear people say, you know, I, but, you know, I can't read the Bible. I just can't understand the Bible unless you teach it to me, someone says in their community group. I can't worship unless I'm in church on Sunday and, and our, our worship team leads me into this. And so we become dependent. Churches are filled with people who are dependent on the leaders of the church. You say, Ed, is that, is that wrong? Well, no, it's not wrong at the beginning. The problem is, is that dependence has tended to stay and what we have is church, churches filled of passive spectators rather than active participants in the mission of God. Why? 
Because codependence has another side. Because as a pastor, we love it. I mean, I love being indispensable. I love when someone comes up to me and says, Pastor, nobody preaches the Bible like you. And I say, thank you, my sweet wife. And... Uh, um, <laughs> But I love when people say those things to me. I love being affirmed. I love being needed. And so what happens is, because I love it so much, I get my identity from it. But what happens is, and I bet there are leaders here right now, maybe staff here right now, who they're saying, you know, I just wish my people would do more. I get frustrated with them. But at the same time, they love me so much when I do it for them. They, they, they praise me and affirm me when I come visit them right before that serious toenail surgery. And what I would say is that we end up producing passive spectators. Dependence in an unhealthy relationship with codependence. Like I tell you, it's very difficult to break that cycle of codependence. What is now the Bible says, if anyone speaks, his speech should be like the oracles of God. So, so the Bible's saying that if you're gifted, you're going to be operating on the power of the Holy Spirit, not the power that's given to you by the leaders, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. All believers are chosen, gifted, and called. How do we break that cycle? To break the cycle, the enabler has to stop enabling. And we have to stop being put to the side for each of us here to say, you know what? I may be sitting in a row, and I may look like a spectator on Sunday, but on Monday I'm an active participant in the mission of God. Now, it's not always easy. People get mad at you when you break that cycle. I remember when I was, uh, I was an interim pastor. Actually, for the last three years since I lived in Nashville, I've been an interim pastor somewhere until just recently, and until four weeks ago. And I was interim pastor of this church in my town, Hendersonville, Tennessee, where I live now. And, and, uh, and, and wonderful church, I mean, great church, had about 9,000 members, wonderful people, they love the Lord. Um, and, but being an interim pastor of a large church is often, it's, it's even more different because you don't get to know everyone as an interim, you don't get to know everyone. Maybe even as a large uh, pastor of a church that size, it's hard. Um, and and, and so, so the reality is, is your role sort of unique. And so one day after church, someone came up to me, a young couple, and they had their son. I guess he was eight. I'll call him Johnny. And they came up to me after church, and they said, Pastor or preacher, um, little Johnny, he's ready to, and I'm paraphrasing, he's ready to trust Christ. He's ready to receive Christ, and, and, uh, and, and, and could you talk to him? He has some questions. And I, and I, and I looked at them for a minute, and I smiled. I didn't say it to me. I said, no, 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 I don't want to. And it was, I mean, they looked at me like I was the most horrible pastor ever. And it was like I cut the head off of a goat and threw it on the altar in the middle of church. And I mean, they were like, what? I mean, what? And, and, and they, and I, you know, I said, well, no, I mean, you, you talked to him. And I tried to, I tried to encourage him. No, you talked to him. And they said, but, but he's got questions. I said, but he's, he's eight. I mean, are they hard? Uh, you know, I mean... <laughs> Is, it, is he struggling with the ontological arguments for the existence of God? Is he, is he unsure, you know, how the Ordo Salutis really works? I mean, no. He, he wants to know, how can I, this big Jesus, come into my heart? He said, you go talk to him. And they, le they left mad. You could see it on their face. You know, they called everybody they knew at the church that day. And they said, the devil is our interim pastor. <laughs> and they were mad at me. And I'm sure, I mean, I'm, I'm sure they told, I'm sure I was the, the conversation at a lot of uh, lunch tables that afternoon. Two weeks later, they came back up. I saw them walking my way and I thought, they've been mustering up the strength to yell at me. And uh, so they came up to me and they said, pastor, preacher, whatever they call me. I said, we just want to thank you for not robbing us of the opportunity to talk through with our son what it means to be a follower of Jesus. 
And they prayed with their son to receive Christ that, that, that week. And they, and they shared that and they thanked me for that. And, and you know what, though? Here, here's the hard part. I'm pretty sure they didn't go call back all the people that they said bad things about me. <laughs> so breaking the cycle's hard. But if all God's people are gifted, I don't need to rob those parents from the working of God through their child and the gifts that they have as, and the responsibility they have as parents to, to lead. And here's the thing. And, and I can, as a pastor, I can go out and do it all, right? And, and maybe sometimes it'll get, maybe if I come teach the Bible study, maybe it will be better. I don't know. I'm not saying it is, but maybe it'll be better. But once you hear this, if pastors do for people what God has called people to do, everybody gets hurt and the work of God gets hindered. But if God has gifted and called you, and you respond to it, and it changes everything. It changes the way we do church. See, church is not a spectator activity. It's a body on mission. I have, a, I have one, one imitation that I do. Do you remember, you remember Ross Perot? I just say his name and people laugh. Just like you've, many of you voted for him. I mean, it's just a percentage of Americans, right? Um, I remember watching Ross Perot. He'd always go on Larry King and he'd hold up these, you know, he'd say, Larry, Larry, look at this chart right here. Look at this. The deficit is like you're crazy in the basement. Nobody wants to talk about it. He always had these, these word images, you know, these Texas size images. But I remember this one thing he said, and it's so applicable to the church, maybe to yours. Here's what he said. Now let me do, let me do my Ross Pro imitation. I got to do the ears. That's a key part of any Ross Pro imitation. Here's what he said. He said, the problem with America today Come on, that's pretty good, isn't it? All right, good. I thought you liked that. He said, the problem with America today is that too many people are riding in the back of the wagon with just a few of us out front pulling it. Hmm. Can you imagine what more God could do through this church if some of you have been sitting in the wagon, got up and got up front and joined in the mission? Can you imagine the way the poor could be served? the way the widow could be ministered to? Can you imagine the way children could be encouraged? Can you imagine how we might encourage and provoke one another to love and good deeds? Don't, don't say, don't, no one in this room should say, I sure hope somebody gets this message. Because if you're already involved, you can help others get involved. If you're not involved, my question for you is, why? If you're gifted, and now empowered. You say, I don't know how to do it. That's okay. You have pastors who are going to equip you, and you have, in the midst of that, you have the leadership, the empowerment, and the gifting that comes from the Holy Spirit. You say, well, I don't know if I can do it. Step out and let your pastors and elders help you. You know, you remember that, that Susan Boyle video? I love that video. I watched it over and over. My wife would say, why are you watching that again? I just watched it over. She'd come in, I'd be like, and I'd be watching over and over again because I just love that video. And, and so did hundreds of millions of other people, right? It's one of the most watched YouTube videos in the world. It went viral, if you will. Um, I remember watching, if you follow me on Twitter, right, you would have been one, one among the first one million people. I just watched it and kept watching it. I put it up there, so you got to watch this. Why? Because you watch it and you see this frumpy lady come out, and when she walks out into the stage, they kind of pan the audience, and Britain's Got Talent. They kind of pan the audience. And you see, there's this, actually this one girl, this teenage girl. She just kind of rolls her eyes and smirks and smears. How? Just with this head, how dare that frumpy lady think she could go on Britain's Got Talent? You just watch that girl, and you just want to slap her. And uh, um, <laughs> you saw her, didn't you? And, um, 
And then she gets up and they interview her a little bit. Simon asks her some questions and she stumbles through. She can't even say where she's from. She stumbles through where she's from. And, and, uh, and she's she just, she just, just not impressive by anybody's standards. And then she says, I'm going to sing this song from Les Mis. And then she starts singing this song, I Dream the Dream. And as she starts singing the song, she starts it, and they pan to the audience, and they're on the camera. And you see these people all of a sudden going, whoa, this was not what we expected. And, they, and, and then they pan to the judges, and they're like, what is going on? They start to smile, and they go back to, the, back to her singing, and she start, her voice starts to come up, I dream the dream in time. And, and the crowd starts to applaud, and, and then the judges are applauding, because they know they've misjudged the situation. And, and as she hits those high notes, at one point they point over to the two guys backstage, and they say, whoa, didn't expect that, did you? And now the whole audience is on their feet and they're cheering and she's bringing it and it's just an amazing thing and I'm watching I'm crying like a like a 10 year old girl at a Jonas Brothers concert I mean I you know I, I'm just like wow and I'm like this is it and then she hits that last note and I'm crying they're applauding I'm like wow why because people know it's in, it's intuitive to them because they yearn, they yearn for a kingdom Augustine said there's a God-shaped hole in each of us. My heart is, not, is restless, so let's find its rest in thee. They know, they know there should be a time and place when the unappreciated and the undervalued shine as God has gifted them. For some, this is a shocking moment on YouTube. For us, it should be life in the kingdom of God. It should be you and you and you and you and you and those around you joining God on mission and ministry, being used by God because you're empowered by his Spirit. Church is not a spectator sport. It's a body on mission. Number four, and I'll close with this. You know what it means when a guest speaker says, I'll close with this. Absolutely nothing. (laughs) All have gifts God intends all to use for which he empowers us to bring God glory. I can tell your church knows and values the glory of God. Well, what's one way God receives glory? He says so in First Timothy, excuse me, First Peter chapter four, verse eleven. He says so that in everything, what, what, all this before, using our gifts, having gifts, using them, being good managers. Why? So that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong the glory, the power, forever and ever. Amen. You say, well, I like to give God glory in song. I want you to give God glory in song, but that song should drive you to the heart of God. And when you understand the heart of God and the mission that Jesus came, you will join him on that mission. And then we won't be passive spectators, but we'll be active participants in the mission of God. God wants his glory. He's concerned with it. He created you for it and he gifted you for it. So why does God given us leaders, pastors, elders? Why? Ephesians 4 tells us. Let me read it to you. It says, and God gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Why? Why did God give us pastors and teachers and others? For the training of the saints, that's you. For the work of ministry, to the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into a mature man with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. So God has given us leaders. We never want to despise leaders, but the role that leaders are are not to say to us, we'll do the ministry, but we'll equip you and we'll do the ministry together. This passage says that we'll reach all unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's Son, growing into a mature man with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. We, we use gifts, how? Until the church gets to the unity of the faith, full knowledge, a mature man, 
measured with the stature of the fullness of Christ. When we use our gifts, the body is unified. It becomes mature and it becomes more like Jesus. When you've got a church full of people using their gifts, they're focused together on mission. See, the challenge is this. It's easy for us to watch rather than to join in the mission of God. And what I want to say to you is this. God has not called you or I to be passive spectators, to sit in rows, watching. This is a place of training. And we find ways to gather people together to do that. This is a place of worship. This is a place where much goes on here about the biblical marks of a church. But the end result is God receiving his glory. And one of the ways in which he receives his glory is that we join him on his mission. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. He sent us all on mission. In 1 Peter 4, he says that we're gifted for ministry. We're all called to the ministry. Every person in this room who names the name of Jesus as Savior and Lord has been called to the ministry and sent on mission. The only question is, what kind of steward are we being of the call of God in our lives? My encouragement to you, my hopefully provoking you to love and good deeds, is that you might move from being passive spectators to active participants in the mission of God. If you're already an active participant, is that you might help move others, make it your ministry to provoke one another to love and good deeds so that all God's people might be engaged in God's mission and his name and his fame might be more widely known.